0: Man Coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's the Valentine's Day, Ash Wednesday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. I can't recall that ever happening before, that Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday were the same day. Kind of a strange confluence of, I don't want to call it holidays, because there's nothing that is holiday in nature about Ash Wednesday. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The reminder that it was from dust that we came, and to dust we shall return. That's why Catholics get ashes on their head. It's a reminder we're all going to die. So enjoy, enjoy your Wednesday. Also, don't eat meat if you're Catholic. I never knew quite why. I don't remember getting that education. I got 12 years of Catholic school. I don't remember why Catholics don't eat meat. On Ash Wednesday or Fridays in Lent. I remember when I was growing up, it used to be no meat on Fridays any time of the year, not just during Lent. And during Lent, it was Wednesdays and Fridays, no meat. So I probably would have picked up the reason at some point. I'm not sure what the reason is. And I don't eat a whole lot of meat anyway on Wednesdays or Fridays, some Friday nights. Yeah, Boy, see, now that I know that I can't have a steak on a Friday night, I'm really going to want steak on on Friday night. That's going to be a problem. Anyway, it's going to be a problem if I talk about things other than, than, I'm thinking about steak now. See, that? I probably should just call this and go like buy a steak right now and cook it. I will be eating steak on the Thursday night of the draft while I watch the draft on either NFL Network or ESPN or... Fox. Yes, as profootballtalk.com, those bastards, reported earlier in the day on Wednesday, Fox will be televising the draft this year. I had heard talk of this last year. I think I heard it after the draft. I was in New York talking to someone from the league office, and I was praising the league office for the decision to move the draft from city to city because of the spectacle it was creating. Philadelphia, 70,000 people showing up for the draft. It's good for the sport. I mean, ultimately, the draft is a meaningless exercise. They don't even need to have a draft. They don't need to have a place. All they need to have is cell phones, laptops, tablets. You could do it all digitally. You don't need to have everyone show up. But it's become this reality show, the ultimate reality show for the ultimate reality show. The players show up, they get free travel, they get free lodging. The days of free needs to end though, especially now that it's going to be an even bigger spectacle because it's moving to Fox. Three-letter network means bigger audience. That's just the way it goes. There are still millions of people who don't have cable, don't have internet, don't have satellite, rely upon rabbit ears or whatever the modern day equivalent is where you grab the signal out of the sky. The Fox signal will be grabbed out of the sky in plenty of homes to go along with cable and satellite. My understanding is it's going to be the simulcast of the NFL network feed on Fox. ESPN will continue to televise it. ESPN surely isn't happy about it. But as of a year ago, when I had this conversation, I said, you know what, the next step is to move it from cable to broadcast. And I was told those wheels were in motion. And this is an outgrowth of the deal that brings Thursday Night Football to Fox. So, this was happening. Whether it was NBC, CBS, Fox, or ABC, the draft was going to end up on a three-letter network. And that's better for the NFL. And now this year at AT AT&T Stadium, they will outdo the 70,000 who showed up last year. I guarantee you that's going to be eclipsed. All for something that they don't need to conduct it is a vestige of days gone by in a smoky conference room in new york city where everybody got together and they decided who wants whom now it's a major event and now it's going to be televised for the first time this year on a broadcast network and the numbers will go up they will But what the Pro Bowl did this year, simulcast on ESPN and ABC, numbers went up. Now, ESPN wasn't as forthcoming with that fact when trumpeting the fact that the ratings were up. Yeah, they were up because it wasn't only on ESPN. You put it on ABC, CBS, Fox, or NBC, and the numbers are going to go up. So it's going to be a win for Fox on that Thursday night, and it's a win for the NFL. At a time when the league is supposedly dying, this is going to be a metric that makes the league look like it is thriving. Because again, when they publish the numbers, there may not even be an asterisk as to why the numbers are suddenly higher. It's just going to be ratings for the draft up 25% over last year, or whatever the number ends up being. So I'm looking forward to that. I wish it was on NBC. I wish NBC had Thursday Night Football. That's not my area of expertise. And ultimately, these networks need to make money off of these transactions. I don't think this is a money maker for Fox directly. It may be an indirect money maker, but it's something that Fox felt compelled to do. They overshot the line of profitability and one of the fruits they get, the ability to televise the draft. This is five down territory by the way. That's just kind of going to be the off-season format. I look for five things to prattle on about before I answer some of your questions. You you know that you 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 know the drill by now. WEEI Radio in Boston. They're going to go off the air for 12 hours on Friday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. This is a direct result of a variety of inappropriate statements made recently, the culmination of which Christian Fourier's decision to use a ridiculously stereotypical Asian accent when pretending to be Don Yee, and that flows from the fake texts that were sent by someone posing as Don Yee to Ron Borges of the Boston Herald. And Fourier got suspended, I think, for a week or something like that. And he accepted it. He took it, whatever the duration of the suspension was. But no one else had anything happen. And look, you got co-hosts who need to be saying, Christian, knock that off. They didn't. They laughed. They egged him on. And the producer, instead of pulling the plug, killing the mic, going straight to break, The producer played equally stereotypical Asian music. So, WEEI is going to stand down for 12 hours, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern on Friday, so all employees can engage in mandatory sensitivity training. Now, something I have not mentioned yet at profootballtalk.com, but by the time this posts, I think it will be public. WEEI is an NBC Sports Radio affiliate. So, with no original programming... On Friday of any kind from WEEI. NBC Sports Radio will step in and Pro Football Talk Live will be on from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern on WEEI. And instead of the re-air, I've already gone horse shack and put my hand in the air and said I'll do six hours live. So folks in Boston, you're going to get six hours of PFT Live on Friday and everybody else It won't be three hours repeated for another three. It's going to be a full six hours. And I'm not getting paid any extra for it, which is kind of stupid by me. This is one of these days when I probably should have had an agent. But I'm going to go ahead and do the full six hours. It's all for the greater good. And all to keep the folks in Boston occupied on the radio dial. Not that they're going to listen. I don't know. Will they? Or will they flip it over to one of the other local stations? We'll try to make it a Patriots vibe on Friday. We'll try to get some Patriots guests on Friday to make it interesting. So that's what's coming up. That's second down. Had to squeeze one in that was all about us. Although it's not directly about us. We didn't create the problem. We're just happily filling the void on the day the WEEI will be standing down. Johnny Manziel is standing up and playing football in the Spring League. And this meshes with something that I said once he started this media tour. My sense was... He's taking one last shot at getting on a 90-man NFL roster in the offseason before going to Canada. And with no one offering him a spot now, he's committed to play in the Spring League. Four-team league with a two-week season. I mean, what the hell? But it's an opportunity to show that he can run around in pads and make things happen. And I admire his willingness to do this. Yeah, he's desperate. But also, he could say, this is beneath me. I, don't, I shouldn't have to do that. If they don't want me, based upon my merit, if I have to go do this dog and pony show with a bunch of guys who aren't good enough to make it, I don't want to do that. He's doing it. Now, the only caveat is, if an NFL team signs him to the 90-man roster before then, he, he backs out. And the, the Spring League is fine with that. I mean, they are getting a ton of free publicity. Spring League was trending on Twitter today, along with Manziel. People are aware of the Spring League. And again, it's just a two-week, four-game season. Four teams involved. April 7, April 14. Last year, they broadcast the games on Facebook Live. If Manziel actually goes through with it and plays in these games, I would imagine that there would be a network that would be willing to pay to put the games on the air. And let everyone see what Manziel can do. And then if Manziel ends up not getting on a 90-man roster after his time with the Spring League, I assume that the last-ditch effort then would be to go play in Canada. He's determined to make a comeback. It's comeback season. SZN. Why did it take the cool kids so long to spell season SZN? Seems fairly obvious. Seems like something Prince should have done, doesn't it? Comeback season for Johnny Manziel. And look, I think the guy would be good for football. I don't know that a team is ready to trust him. And even if he does all the right things, dots all the I's, crosses all the T's, plays well, even then, do you trust him? Do you trust him in light of what happened in Cleveland? All about football before the draft. The moment he's drafted, all about anything but football. Then after his first year, all about rehab, all about getting himself straight and getting himself prepared and work, 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 and it didn't take again. The Browns have been duped twice by Johnny Manziel, and that makes it harder for him to get anyone to trust him. Hopefully someone will, if he's trustworthy. Hopefully we don't get into another fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times type of a situation. I've said more than once, twice, or three times. I'm moving on to third down, by the way. Fourth down. Getting ahead of myself. Fourth down or behind. Drew Brees still doesn't have a new contract, and we're already more than halfway through the period when the season ended for the Saints and free agency begins. It's been four weeks and three days since the Saints lost to the Vikings in the Minneapolis Miracle Game. Four weeks from today, free agency opens. Now, it's a deadline-driven business, yada, 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 but the bottom line is this. If they want to remove all doubt about any possible departure of Drew Brees from New Orleans, they need to just get the deal done. And if Drew Brees is so intent on staying that he's not going to be greedy, that he's going to do a reasonable deal, then they should be able to get this thing done in five minutes. But here's the thing. What happened last week? The top of the market went from $27 million to $27.5 and a, half million. a guy with seven career starts who's never accomplished anything in the NFL. He's the highest paid player in league history. So what does Drew Brees want? He deserves more than that. Does he want 25? 26? What does he want? I still think he's testing the Saints, folks. I'm definitely staying. I'm retiring as Saint. Why would I leave? Well, and then the Saints offer him a Mike Glennon-style contract, or 18, 19 million. It's got to at least be 20 as an opener, or it's an insult to Drew Brees. He turned 39 on January 15, I believe. Well, Tom Brady just played a full season at the age of 40. There's no sign of a drop off by Drew Brees. Until this is done it's not done. We learned that with Josh McDaniels. And Brees can say whatever he wants, but if the Saints don't offer him what he thinks he deserves and someone else is willing to give him dramatically more, and I'd say the difference is somewhere between 5 and 10 million for the year. Right? If if the Saints offer 22 and someone else is willing to pay 28, mm, mm, who knows? But until the deal gets done, I am not going to stop banging the drum of the possibility that Drew Brees moves on from the Saints because I could see the Saints offering him something sufficiently low that he says, screw that. You are mistaking my desire to stay with the Saints as a desire to be unfairly compensated for my services. Fifth down, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are being compensated handsomely for their services in Denver. There's been some talk in recent days that one of them could be gone because the Broncos are going to have to do some salary cap-heavy lifting this year. Can they afford both guys? Now, the theory has been put out there that if they're going to spend money on a quarterback, they need both of them. But you know what? If it's a really good quarterback, you don't. You don't need both of them. You can have one guy, Demarius Thomas, he gets double teamed, he draws the attention, and then you draft a guy or two Find a lower-priced free agent who may have familiarity with that quarterback, and that guy becomes the number two, and you save some money that way. So just because they're intent on getting a quarterback doesn't mean they should be intent on keeping both Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. I don't know how it's going to play out, but if they're going to be in the Kirk Cousins market, and I'm sure that at some level it's driving John Elway crazy that Von Miller keeps talking about wanting Kirk Cousins. What if they decide they don't want Kirk Cousins? What does Von Miller say? Does it create a problem? Does it create a locker room issue? What's Paxton Lynch thinking about all of this? So, just curious how the quarterback situation plays out. Curious whether or not the Broncos move on from Sanders or Thomas. There's already chatter that they'd be willing to trade a keep to keep Talib, which means he's getting cut if they don't trade him. Just a matter of time, maybe, before we start hearing about shopping Sanders or Thomas. Because at some point, you got to go younger, cheaper, and that makes your team better, especially if you're going to be making a big investment in a quarterback. All right, that's five down territory. Got through it fairly quickly today. Efficiency. You're still getting your money's worth. You're getting the information. I'm not ta- meandering talking about the fact that it's Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. We already did that. All right, time to answer your questions. First one from Thea01. Is there any way to listen to PFTPM live or only after you've put up the podcast on iTunes slash other mediums? Yeah, it's, it's not live. It's taped like every other podcast. Very few podcasts are actually live. It's not a radio show. PFT Live, you can listen to live, ergo the name. PFTPM is taped. I appreciate your interest in listening to it live, but you can only hear it on tape delay, as they used to call it. Now, it usually gets posted within a half hour, 45 minutes after I'm done, so you're really not missing much. But thank you. Thank you for your support of PFTPM. At The Impact 99, could the NFL ever look at an overtime rule change similar to the NHL where a reduced number of players is on the field? Ooh, I like that one. Seven on seven for overtime? Oh man, never thought of that one before. 10 minute overtime, seven on seven. See, here's the thing though. Coaches are against an overtime scenario that dramatically changes the nature of the game. They don't want to do something that is fundamentally different from the football that they typically practice and play. Think about what you'd have to do if you had fewer players for overtime. You'd have to have a whole package of plays that you routinely practice with if it is seven on seven. All of a sudden, seven on seven, how much time are we going to devote during off-season workouts, training camp? When are we going to simulate seven on seven? I like it. I like the idea. I like creativity. But I doubt that the NFL would ever go along with something like that. I can see other changes possibly being made over time. Right now, it's not perceived as something that's broken It it wasn't perceived as broken a year ago, and they decided to fix it by reducing overtime from 15 minutes to 10. Not that it created many issues this year. Were there ties this year? I don't think there was a single tie. I'd have to check. Let me me multitask here. While I buy time talking about whatever I happen to think of, I'm going to pull up NFL.com. Why don't I just tell you exactly what I'm doing? That's how I'll fill the gap. NFL.com has now loaded. There's a tab, standings. Regular season 2017, there were no ties even with the reduced overtime of 10 minutes. So I don't see it changing. I do like creativity, though. I do. Because you never know where that that one idea is going to lead. It may not be that idea. It may be some other idea. But it gets the brain thinking. It stretches the rubber band. It works out that muscle. If the brain, it's not a muscle, but you know what I'm talking about. At Terry Gensler 14, if Philly does have a down year like New England did in 2002, will it be viewed differently in the era of hot takes and social media? I don't know. I Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if it will be viewed differently. I don't remember how the Patriots' 2002 season was viewed. I remember hearing some consternation from within the building that maybe they won the Super Bowl a little bit too early because now they've... Pushed the bar a lot higher than it would have been, and now there's going to be an expectation that they continue to be great. And oh by the way, 2003, 2004, they they won back-to-back championships. Nine and seven in 2002, three-way tie. At nine and seven, at the top of the AFC East, they did not prevail on the tiebreaker. The Jets did, and the Jets destroyed Peyton Manning and company, 41 to nothing, in the wild card round that year. So. Just, be, just because it's now the age of hot takes and social media, I guess anything that happens now will be greater fodder for discussion and debate, etc. So yes, to answer the question, but I mean, look, it's hard to go back to zero and zero and climb out of it, especially when you're trying to do that which you just did, and there are 31 other teams that didn't, and they're trying to do it themselves, and they would like nothing more than to screw you up. Now, the Eagles, I don't think, have a bunch of key free agents coming up, so it's not like they're going to get picked over. That's always one thing that you tend to see. The key free agents that come from the Super Bowl champion, they're a lot more attractive because part of the motivation is to dismantle the champion. So maybe you're going to pay that guy a little more money to get him to leave because you want to screw them up. I don't think that is something the Eagles need to worry about. I think they will be right in the thick of things in 2018. At Fittison Kane, ooh, someone is, is telling on stats. While you were out, stats brought up the best quarterback and coach for the next five years topic. Even after you told him to shelve it, how are you going to punish him? I'm going to have to take that one under advisement. I remember stats trying to force that on to me Monday, and I told him, stats, that's a better topic for when we're on TV, because we tend to do that. It's more produced. When it's a simulcast. I try to be true to the radio audience. But I also try to be true to the TV audience. And the TV producers. Who need to know what we're going to be talking about. Because they have to get what we call B-roll. Footage. Of NFL action. To cover up my otherwise putrid face. So that's why. They like to know what we're going to be doing. So. I told Stats that's a better topic. For when we're back on the air. But since he knows I don't listen. When I'm not on he probably thought he was going to get away with it. So I'm going to make sure I point that out. Thank you, Fittison Kane for being the official hall monitor at PFT live slash PFT PM at Paul Fitz dose Dots, If the cap continues to expand, can equilibrium be reached where teams are able to retain more of their good draft picks for less money because the market value is suppressed by teams avoiding salary cap problems caused by massively overspending on free agents. For example, Albert Hainsworth and Dominican Sue. That's a, that's a, A fancy question there. I'm not sure I understand all of that. But the bottom line is, if the cap keeps growing and the markets don't, it becomes easier to pay market value to players and keep them because you don't have to go nuts from the standpoint of what you pay. Now, one of the realities is the franchise tags because they are locked into a percentage of the cap that's averaged over five years. It's kind of a constant number now. And the franchise tags are going up as the cap goes up, even though the market isn't. That's why it's ridiculous to hear $12.1 million as the franchise tag for running backs. There's no running back that's making eight figures. But the percentage of the cap based on past franchise tags at that position keeps driving it up. So that's the saving grace. And what we're going to see now is more guys, number one, playing under the franchise tag, number two, doing long-term deals based on the tag. But rarely do you see an Indomitian Sioux get to the market unfettered. That's what makes Kirk Cousins so significant this year. Franchise quarterback, right side of 30, healthy, heading to the open market. Because the only alternative for Washington was to tag him again at a 44% raise. That's the hammer for the players. Third time you're tagged at any point in your career, which is one of the reasons why Jimmy Garoppolo should have forced his first career tag from the 49ers before signing his $137.5 million contract. Third tag... Anytime in your career, 44% raise over your cap number from the prior season, which makes it prohibitive, to say the least, for the Washington franchise to tag Kirk Cousins again. Next question, at NFL Hard Rock fans, the NFL is lacking in game day atmosphere at many NFL stadiums. What can the league do to make it more fun for the fans? I prefer the NFL to college football, but there's so much more atmosphere at their games. There's one thing that I've heard about from time to time over the years. I don't know that the NFL is ever going to do it, but it is essentially the equivalent. Well, it's not essentially. It is the equivalent of the radio that you can get at a NASCAR track where you can hear the conversations between the driver and the crew. The, what do they call the guy that runs the crew? I used to know this. The crew chief? Is that it? It doesn't sound right. It kind of sounds right, and it doesn't sound right at the same time. Regardless, the guy who talks to the driver, a similar device for the NFL, where you could only get that at the stadium, an app on your phone, where you can hear the conversations between the coach and the quarterback, that would be added value for the game day experience. That... I think people would pay for now probably would not be something that a kid would want to listen to because the language could be a little salty from time to time, but that's a way to enhance the game day experience. You want to enhance the game day experience. You let people listen to what's being said between the coach and the quarterback in real time without the opposing team, obviously being able to monitor. I mean, I guess there's a chance there would be a fan of the opposing team who is at the game, who has access to the app and is yelling from the first row behind the opposing team's bench. They're passing it deep to 83. Philly special. On two. So so there would be some practical problems with this, but you want to improve the game day experience. That's a way to do it. At Mr. Neely B, why hasn't Washington cut Kirk Cousins at this point? Are they trying to get something in return via trade? If not, why not just cut him loose already? Is it spite? Now here's the thing. If you cut him now, and they could cut him if they wanted to, if you cut him, you don't get compensation for him when he signs elsewhere as a free agent. You have to let him become a free agent. That's why the Chiefs haven't cut Derek Johnson. His contract's expiring. He becomes a free agent on March 14. They could cut him now and let him hit the market and go sign with someone else, but then they lose that piece of the formula. And I don't think anybody fully understands the formula. It's net free agency gains and losses. There's a loose thought that if you have a great young player who is under 30 who leaves, you get a third round compensatory pick. But you know what, if you go out and sign a great young player under 30, that balances it out. So you want to have as many of your guys who leave fall into that side of the ledger that enhances your compensatory draft pick haul. That's why they haven't released Kirk Cousins. Now, there was a report from Shefty, I think, a Sunday, a Super Bowl Sunday splash report that Washington is considering considering applying the franchise tag to Kirk Cousins. I'm considering a run for Congress, and now I'm not. Uh, you know, the point I made last week, at some point, you're playing with fire if you're Washington, because if you tag Kirk Cousins, $34.47 million, and he says, I'll take it, then what do you do? Do you pull out of the Alex Smith trade and say, well, we got Kirk for one more year? Do you trade for Alex Smith and give him the contract extension that's been promised to him? Does he say, I'm not coming now? I don't want to have to compete with Kirk Cousins to be the starting quarterback. I don't want that distraction as part of my life. So they'd be very stupid, I think, to tag Kirk Cousins again. I think he becomes a free agent on March 14. He leaves. And Washington gets his departure counted toward their compensatory draft pick haul for 2019. Next question at C. Deal, sorry, C. Deal, QB8. Do you believe that since Al Riveron was in the stadium for the game rather than being in New York, did that have an impact on his calls in Super Bowl 52? I don't think it did. I don't have any reason to dispute the speculation, the informed speculation from former VP of officiating Mike Pereira. That Commissioner Goodell at some point said to Al Riveron, look, you're screwing these up. You need to apply the standard of clear and obvious evidence. You only overturn the ruling on the field if you see clear and obvious evidence. You don't go back and do it from scratch. You don't go frame by frame and apply the ruling that you would have applied if you were determining this in real time. You have to find clear and obvious evidence of error. And I think that's why the Corey Clement touchdown pass was upheld. And I think that's why the Zach Ertz game winner was upheld. In the stadium or at 345 Park Avenue. Either way. Now, look, if he was in the stadium in Philly and had to get out of the stadium alive, then maybe it's a factor. But neutral site, even though most of the fans were Philly fans, I don't think being there really made a difference. I think it was more about being told by someone, whether it was Roger Goodell or Competition Committee Chairman Rich McKay or an owner an influential owner, or just coming to the conclusion on his own by hearing the criticism from the likes of Mike Pereira and Riveron's predecessor in the job, Dean Blandino. Riveron, to his credit, realized that he wasn't getting it right. And Stats and I debated this today because I could make the argument, and I forgot to look up this rule. I still need to do it. There was a rule at one point that the NFL was contemplating changing during the season. Something happened, and it exposed something that needed to be done, but the league decided to change it after the season because the season is a self-contained unit, and you don't want to compromise competitive balance by changing a rule where there's already been a different rule earlier in the year. So this is kind of like that, although not completely. If you have a messed up application of the replay standard through some critical decisions, specifically Week 15, Patriots at Steelers, Jesse James touchdown. If you have one way that you've done it, does it disrupt competitive balance to change it on the fly? Apparently it doesn't. And I prefer that the standard be properly applied. So it's better to figure it out late than not at all. But that was my only hesitation. And I think that's why Chris Collinsworth on the broadcast I was listening to it, you know, when you're in the press box at the Super Bowl, they give you this little radio you hang off of your ear, and you can listen to Westwood One, you can listen to NBC, you can listen to the Spanish feed, I think, and Collinsworth was taking the position that both of those plays should be overturned, and I think he was basing that on what he had seen throughout the course of studying how these calls were being made throughout the 2017 season at recliner QB could the NFL be sticking to the outdated total TV viewers metric instead of the more accurate all viewers because the big money networks don't want the NFL telling viewers to potentially go away from TV I you know that's a good thought I but I don't think that that, that viewers are they're going to see the total audience including all streaming including people who watched it at someone else's house or in a bar NBC had the total audience number I think by the end of last week that includes the estimate of all the people who watched it out in bars. I don't think that that's going to cause people to say, "Well, I feel free now. I, you know, I have to stay home and watch this because I want the ratings to be high." I, I don't think that's an issue. But I think it's good that the NFL strive to paint the most accurate picture possible of how many people are watching the game. At Mr. Neely B. Can you talk a little bit about legal tampering? I'm curious about the Jaguars situation. If the Jaguars wanted to sign a free agent quarterback, how would that work considering the timing of Bortles' contract? Can the Jaguars officially sign someone before having to make a decision on Bortles or no? That's a great question. Here's how it would go. Bortles currently has a contract for 2018 that is guaranteed for injury at $19 million. That is the fifth-year option. It's driven by the 2017 transition tender since he was a top-ten pick. The 2017 transition tender at his position quarterback becomes his fifth-year salary. Guaranteed for injury. Now, remember, he had surgery. I think it was wrist. Was it wrist? Stats? Uh stats. No stats. I think he had wrist surgery. If he can't pass a physical by March 14, he can't be cut. He gets the $19 million Fully guaranteed for 2018. But let's assume that he can pass a physical and be released. The two-day window that opens before March 14, they could go out and do a deal in principle with Kirk Cousins, with Case Keenum, with anybody. And then they'd have to cut Blake Bortles before March 14 when the new league year begins and thereby avoid the commitment of $19 million fully guaranteed. They'd be taking the leap of faith that Case Keenum or Kirk Cousins or someone else would actually sign the deal. They could end up with neither guy. Because as we learned, was it two, three years ago, Frank Gore had a deal with the Eagles and he backed out. He backed out and he's allowed to back out. It's not done until it's done. The Josh McDaniels rule, nothing's done until it's done. Frank Gore said, sorry, I changed my mind. I'm going to Indianapolis instead. So you could have a tentative deal with a replacement for Blake Bortles, cut the court on Bortles, and then have that other quarterback say, ah, you know what, Um, I'm I'm not going to sign the deal after all. So that's how it would all work. At Longhorn, Justin, how are the in-conference opponents determined for each team each year? I know about the non-conference division changing every four years and playing your division twice. What determines the other six in-conference games? Okay, first of all, You've got, let me just break it down. Let me just explain how the schedule is put together. And let me use the Eagles, the defending Super Bowl champions, as the example. You play every team in your division twice. There's six games there. Cowboys, Washington, and Giants. Boom, boom, boom. There's six. And the other four games, or four of the other games, to be more technically accurate, four of the other games come from one of the other divisions. This year, it's the AFC South. So there's 10 right there. There's your 10. So the question is, where do the other six come from? Four of them come from one of the other divisions in your conference. And I don't know off the top of my head which conference it is where the Eagles play all four teams or which division it is. It's either the North, the South, or the West. The Eagles play all four teams, as does Dallas, Washington, and the Giants. All four teams from one division in the other conference, all four teams from one division in in your own conference, that gets you to 14. The last two games are in the other two divisions where you don't play all four teams. You play the team that finished in the same spot you did. So the Eagles will play the first place team from really all three of the other NFC divisions. And then the second, third, and fourth place team from that one division where there's that rotation. And so look, The only variation in the schedule for the teams in one division, because people say, oh, they got a fourth place schedule. It only comes down to two games. So the Eagles are going to play from that division where they only play one team. Those two divisions where they only play one team. The Eagles play the first place team and the fourth place team, the Giants will play the fourth place teams. That's it. Two games. That's the only difference under the schedule that was put in place, the formula that was put in place back in 2002. I hope I answered the question without giving anyone other than myself a migraine. At CDLQB8, is Gronk a Hall of Famer if he retires? Hard to say no, hard to say yes. I I say yes. I say yes. Greatest tight end in NFL history. He's not going to have the numbers of a Tony Gonzalez, but I think the impact that he had on a game, the impact he had on game planning, that's one of the things that we hear all the time. What made a guy a great player? The amount of time that the opponent spends obsessing over how to stop him. And that's always the story with a healthy Gronkowski. How are they going to stop him? How are they going to stop him? How are they going to stop him? He joined the league in 2010. He's got eight NFL seasons. He's in. He's in. If he retires, he's in. At Eugene Herman 814, how will the catch rule be fixed and will a targeting rule be put in place? Two separate things, obviously. And a targeting rule is possible. Possible. The NFL's talked about it. I think they don't want to have that that knee-jerk automatic ejection. I think they're reluctant to do that. The catch rule, I don't know how it can be fixed or how it will be fixed and how it can be fixed, and I've proposed this in the past. You make the third element of the catch rule not subject to replay review. Whether or not the player had the ball long enough to clearly become a runner, you just can't review that. It's too subjective. It's like pass interference. It's a judgment call. And also treat the boundaries differently. Treat the end zone differently. You don't have to survive the ground if you break the plane with the football. You don't have to survive the ground if you catch the ball in the end zone. This whole idea of surviving the ground is aimed at preventing a bunch of fumbles, a bunch of live balls, which rarely are going to happen. If you call these catches and fumbles. Because most guys, while going to the ground, are going to be touched by an opponent and therefore be down by contact. That's not a consideration in the end zone. So, at the sidelines and at the goal line or in the end zone. No surviving the ground. Those are the two ways I'd fix it. I'm not a big fan, as I said last week, of going back to square one on this because you're going to have unintended consequences if you do. My suggestion would be make some tweaks. Don't blow it up. Just find a way to make some tweaks to improve it that way. And I I know that I've said before, blow it all up. Go back to square one when it comes to officiating. That's different than how I feel about the catch rule because I don't think it's going to take much to fix it. And I think if you do too much, you're potentially going to screw it up. At rfedig6, is PFT commenter, really your son, he has a little better hair and sunglasses than you. First of all, first of all, if it's good to have like unwashed long hair, then I agree. Second of all, I can wear sunglasses all the time if I want to. He's trying to conceal his identity. And I know his real name. And I know what he looks like without sunglasses. And the observation I made on Twitter a few weeks ago is this. I've never seen him and Ed Sheeran in the same place at the same time. And he's not my son. I don't think that's a real question. He's my internet son. His persona is based upon essentially a satire of the kind of people that like to post comments at websites, including PFT. Because if you read some of the comments that people post at PFT, and trust me, a lot of them get deleted. If you read some of the ones that make it through, is this real or is this a satire? Is this a caricature of somebody who would comment on a website? At Nick Haberman, if the Vikings sign a different quarterback in free agency, like Kirk Cousins, where do you think their three quarterbacks? current quarterbacks will be playing next year? Good question. There's so many different moving parts here. Do you trust Sam Bradford's knee? Do you, if you're the Jaguars, do you pounce on Case Keenum? Who takes a chance on Teddy Bridgewater and his busted knee? I could see, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. You've got Pat Shermer, running the show in New York now. And remember the fairly obvious dot connecting reports. Well, but Case Keenum could end up wherever Pat Shermer does. Well, they got Eli Manning and they plan to keep Eli, Eli Manning. So if Case Keenum wants to play, the Giants may not be the place for him to go. Now, maybe you convinced Teddy Bridgewater to go there, but you know, Bridgewater never played for Shermer other than mop-up duty that didn't go very well against the Bengals. Shermer came in after Bridgewater's knee imploded. So I, I don't know where these guys are going to end up. But if I was the Jaguars, I'd be targeting Keenum. Cheaper than Cousins and good enough to take you to the promised land because the rest of that team is better than pretty much any other team in the NFL right now. At Thomas McCoskey, who would be the better free agent signing for the Vikings, Sheldon Richardson or Andrew Norwell? Well, you're talking about two different positions altogether, two different line groups. I'd say make the offensive line better. The defense is good enough. I'd, uh, between the two, I'd go Andrew Norwell. And I don't know that you can trust Sheldon Richardson with big money. I just don't know that you can because of like, the issues he had with the Jets. There was a reason the Jets ran him off. At Terry Gensler 14, will New England use their 31st pick and the 49ers' second pick to jump higher into round one and take a quarterback? I don't know that they will, but I think they should. I mean, they need a quarterback in round one. They need to find which guy who's a round one prospect they want. And why not go get him? Because you've got to get somebody ready for life after hashtag Tommy. He'll be 41 this year if he's going to play. And see, when he says he's going to play until he's 45, does that mean his 45th birthday or he's going to play until the season where he turns 45 in August? Is that his last year? I don't think he's going to play that long. My theory continues to be he says 45 so that whenever he does leave, it's not his final year. He doesn't want to have a farewell tour because it's not about him. And I think he'd be too emotional during a farewell tour season. I think he just disappears. We find out about it out of the blue. And I think that means they better have somebody ready to go. In a first rounder, they'd control his rights for five years. So there would be overlap. I think if they take a first rounder now, there'll be overlap between that guy and Tom Brady. So I think now's the time to do it. At just lid seven What do you think about the international games in Mexico? Do you think it's good business for the NFL to continue doing them on a regular basis like they do in London? Well, look, they make money off of it. They make more money. You find a team that either has a smaller stadium or a stadium that doesn't sell out. You send them down to Mexico and they make money off of it. And it's a good way to spread the virus. This is all about spreading the NFL virus. And if you start bringing real games to London, real games to Mexico City, real games elsewhere if that ever happens, China, Brazil, Germany, just throw a dart on the map. Yeah, we'll play a game there. If you keep doing that, the idea is, and this is a one hundred year plan. This isn't a quick fix. This is long term growth. If you can get other countries to regard the NFL the way we do, if they can have their watershed moment where they love the sport like we do, billion dollar business becomes a trillion dollar business. Got to a couple more and then hit the road for the day. I think we're getting close I think we were forty eight, but we're getting close to the end. At the Impact 99, if Le'Veon Bell leaves Pittsburgh, how long would Big Ben stick around, and how long could Tomlin hang on as head coach? I think Ben Roethlisberger still hangs around. They find a guy to replace him. They'll know going into the draft. The Steelers will know if they have a need at running back or not. And for what it's going to cost to keep Le'Veon Bell, and, and I, I don't, I, I, you know, remember they were talking, I'm, I'm not sure they're talking right now. I, 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 I'm poking around this one a little bit more, but I, they may not be talking. It may be franchise tag or open market for Le'Veon Bell and the franchise tags 14 and but I think Roethlisberger still stays. They find a replacement and they keep moving. And, uh, look, Le'Veon Bell is one of the best running backs in the game, but when you have a great passing game, it's a lot easier for a running game to be good because the defense keys on the passing game. Terry Gensler, 14. If the Eagles go without an offensive coordinator next year, does that make Jim Schwartz's role with the defense even more valuable, assuming Doug Peterson would be even more focused on the offense? Probably, probably. If Peterson is serving as the offensive coordinator, that probably puts more on Jim Schwartz. And they, I think at one point this year they expected to lose Jim Schwartz. He ended up getting one interview. That still surprises me. And then the Colts job comes open, and Frank Reich's the one who gets it. Schwartz's name wasn't even mentioned. So I think they feel very fortunate when you have an offensive-minded head coach and you've got a defense that's working well, you don't have to replace your coordinator. That's a big deal for the Eagles. Faisal Morale, what's the best part of your job, air quotes job? And air quotes, very appropriate there because it's not a job. That's the best part of the job. It's not a job. You know, I I get paid to follow the NFL more closely than I would if I had a real job because if I had a real job, I wouldn't be following it as closely as I do because I wouldn't have the time to. So basically, I get all the time in the world to follow the NFL, and I get paid to do it. And I get to go to, like, the Super Bowl, and I get paid to be there. And, you know, I get to, I get paid to hang out on Sundays with guys like Tony Dungy and Rodney Harrison and watch football. And, you know, there's some stressful aspects of a Sunday if it's busy and you're gathering news. But it's just great. It's, it's, it's rarely something that feels like drudgery. I rarely have a day where I can't wait for the day to end. I rarely have a day that I dread I remember having nights when I would go to bed and I would like do the math in my head, like how many hours until I have to do that thing I don't want to do. Uh, Six hours until I have to take that deposition. Oh boy. Eight hours until I have to go to that hearing that I'm going to lose. You know, whatever it may be. I mean, I don't do that. I get, I get out of the morning with that goofy Jim Harbaugh attack the day with an enthusiasm, unknown to mankind type of a, of a, you know, attitude after the first five minutes. I, I will admit, but when the alarm goes off between 5 and 5:20 5, a.m., for the first five minutes, I was like, "Why the hell do I do this?" But that fades by the time it's uh, it's time to attach the toupee, and, and we're uh, we're we're off and running and ready to go. All right, I probably should call it there. I appreciate your time as always. I plan to do another one on Thursday. Usually I don't do Thursday, but I didn't do Tuesday, and I'm sorry I missed Tuesday. Had a very minor medical procedure. I don't want to get into the details. It was an endoscope. I'm fine. I ain't going anywhere, just had to have something checked out, not serious, all good. Hey, and let me tell you this, just generally, if you're having any kind of symptoms that are freaking you out in any way, anything unusual, don't be afraid to go to the doctor. Don't don't be afraid to get it checked out. It's always better to get it checked out, because if everything's fine, you got peace of mind, and you can't replace peace of mind with anything else. Secondly, if it is something bad, the sooner you get it, the better off you're going to be. Your family's counting on you to be around, whether you're the the breadwinner, not the breadwinner, the husband, the wife, whoever it is. And I know our audience is predominantly male. I don't want to skew one gender or the other, whoever you are. If you're listening to this, there are people who count on you being around. Don't be selfish. Don't be stupid. If you think there's something wrong, get your ass to the doctor. I live that way. I went a long time not being that way. I don't know what my epiphany was, but I realized you know what? It's simple. If you think something may be wrong, you get checked out. And if you're fine, great. And if you're not fine, oh shit, but at least you're able to, to get on top of it and get it taken care of. I'm fine. I'm happy to announce I'm fine. You know, but but for the things that you may want to criticize me for, but those aren't going to be fixed anytime soon one way or the other. All right, let's do this again, presumably on Thursday. I plan it to be on Thursday. If not Thursday, definitely Friday. Check us out at profootballtalk.com. And and remember, Friday morning, a bonus three— Why did I agree to this? See, Friday Florio's the one that's got to deal with it. Right now, I'm like, yeah, I'll do six hours on Friday morning. I'm going to be cussing— the Wednesday version of me on Friday morning. But for now, yeah, six hours of PFT Live on Friday morning. Let's do it. So get ready for that. Maybe the last three hours will be entertaining, extra entertaining for that reason. And uh, as always, thanks for your support of the website, profootballtalk.com, all day long, every day, and uh, have a great day. We'll talk soon